0: You know, I want to extend a special welcome to all of you this morning. Welcome to Serve Month, all right? Now, we have been started in this Serve Month journey all together, and it has been a blast to watch some of your stories come in. Um, If you weren't aware, as we have been working through this Serve Month together, we've been asking you to to seek God, to, to listen to the Holy Spirit in your life, and then to just do what He says. As simple as that. Trying to... Take away as many boundaries for all of you as we possibly can. Just listen to where God is calling you and do what he says. It's a perfect thing. And you guys have responded. I've loved hearing the stories that have been pouring in through our website. You can go there. It's a pop-up right there and it says, tell us your serve story. We've been hearing their stories. They've been happening in serving in parking lots while they're at grocery stores. They've been on park benches while on vacation. Um, Online today, I want to thank you in particular for those who are watching online during the the pre-stream that happens here at Redeemer. um, Just stories about serving our neighbors and reaching out to the people who need us most. And so if you have already begun that journey, we want to hear your stories. Make sure you check in at the website and tell us your story. It's not so that you can heap praise upon yourself. It is so that you can share your serving story with somebody else so that they might, too, hear the voice of God in their life calling them to go out and to serve and so to inspire other people. So thank you. Thank you for being with us all on this Serve Month journey together. So, All right, with that said, I want to say 2,000 years ago, the process of picking students, whether it was philosophy or religion or traditional academia, teachers would pick their students from prominent families with proven pedigrees. In fact, an established teacher would take on students from families that had an academic background already, exclusively within generations of the best minds that money and prestige could promote the value of a teacher, you see, was measured on the success, the connectedness of the students that they taught. But Jesus, 2,000 years ago, had a very different strategy. You see, he started by inviting two sets of brothers firmly rooted in the working class. And while we recognize them today, those two sets of brothers, for their carefully crafted accounts, their incredible writing that has encouraged the people of God for 2,000 years. Jesus didn't invite these four working class men, four fishermen. He didn't invite them into this movement that he was starting. He didn't invite them in for their academic prowess. He didn't invite four fishermen in for their potential political influence. He didn't invite four fishermen in because their parents had lots of money that they could contribute to what their movement was all about. Jesus invited four fishermen because he was looking for strength, for resolve, and for loyalty. Jesus was looking to set the core, to establish the core of a world-changing movement. He wasn't assembling a high-achieving classroom. And Jesus didn't just stop with fishermen. He invited a tax collector of questionable repute. Jesus invited a zealot. Do you know what somebody described as a zealot does? In in today's terms, that understanding would be a combination between a lobbyist and a protester with global overthrow of the government as their goal. Goal. Jesus invited a man who was only described in God's word as a thief and a liar. And after his death on the cross, Jesus invited a persecutor of Christians in a vision. Now, there were others whose stories we don't know, but this class of students was not the type of people whom you would expect to be at the core of a transformational movement that started over 2,000 years ago, that today still draws 2.38 million people, billion people, sorry, to follow Jesus worldwide. It's a big number. I don't think that they were starting with four fishermen in order to do something that even fell short of that. According to Matthew, the tax collector of questionable reputation, Jesus started preparing his students by moving from community to community, proclaiming something that he was calling a new kingdom. And as the crowds began to grow, Jesus shared with all the people, including those he identified as his students, his disciples, he invited them into an upside-down strategy where every value that they held was challenged. A strategy where the where the poor owned the kingdom, where humility wins over hubris. Jesus taught a new way of thinking that valued the law and called all of humanity to put love into action. You see, at first, Jesus' disciples, they they watched him work. They watched him teach. They watched him heal the sick and cast out demons. Jesus' disciples watched the miracles. And all the while, Jesus was carefully filling this classroom with the students you would least expect and the students that you now know because they make up the 12 disciples who followed Jesus. Jesus' revolutionary teachings, his effortless healing, and his miracles, they were drawing people by the thousands to him. All of them were hoping for a glimpse or a morsel or a brief healing touch. And as the crowds began to grow, Jesus invited his disciples into a greater participation in the movement. Now, the context that I want to look at from God's Word comes out of Matthew 10. And the best way to provide even greater context into God's Word is just to read the few verses that go ahead of it. So I want to get us into that, starting with verse 35 of chapter 9 in Matthew. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area. He was teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the har- harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the fields. You see, the need was great all around them, all around Jesus and his followers. You see, the, me- the message, the mission, the movement of Jesus was exactly the destination that all of the lost were seeking. A message and movement this important, this seismically transformational. It needed more voices, more hands to help, more feet to lead, more power to heal. It needed more hearts to love. So in that very next verse in that gospel of Matthew we read this Jesus called his 12 disciples together and then and then he gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness Jesus gave this mismatched overmatched student body he had gathered from the docks and back alleys and the streets he gave this group of roughneck roughnecks he gave his disciples the power to do what they had seen only Jesus do before. Jesus gave his disciples the power to heal spiritually, to heal emotionally, and he gave his disciples the power to heal physically. Jesus gave them a new message of a new kingdom, and the miracle power that reinforced the message And that reinforcement gave every disciple, every one that he was about to send out, credibility. In fact, it made them incredible, right? Before Jesus dispatched his disciples into mission, Jesus gave his disciples the tools that they needed. Jesus passed his authority on to his disciples. They saw the way that he moved and they moved in that same way. Jesus gave his disciples exactly what they needed to be the epicenter, along with him, of God's seismic impact on all of humanity. This was the first of a ripple that would become a tidal wave that we are still riding today, 2,000 years later. What then? What, you know, that was firsthand, right? The disciples were Seeing him face to face, when Jesus was giving authority to his disciples, he could reach out and he could touch them. He could instruct and empower while looking each of them in the eyes. What about now? How does that work now? Jesus promised us, this is how it works, Jesus promised us the Holy Spirit that it would guide his followers and empower his followers to even greater things than Jesus accomplished. Oh, we hear all these stories, we hear all of the, the truth about Jesus, and he says that by the power of the Holy Spirit, his followers will do even greater things than him. Paul was that man, as I mentioned earlier, the, the, the later on disciple of Jesus who was persecuting Christians when Jesus came to him in a vision. He called him. And he was putting into words what it was like to see and experience the movement of the Holy Spirit. And he put it into words in a letter to the church in Corinth. He wrote, now dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities or the gifts the Spirit has given us, I don't want you to misunderstand us. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. You see, then Jesus gave his disciples the tools they needed and now the Holy Spirit fills us with his gifts and gives us the tools we need today. In the Holy Spirit, Jesus gives his followers the power to do exactly what we are called to do. I want to say that one more time. In the Holy Spirit, Jesus gives us the power to do exactly what we are called to do. For those disciples in Matthew 10, he gave them the authority to cast out demons, the authority to heal every disease and illness. In the power of the Holy Spirit, followers of Jesus receive a great gift, gifts that are the tools to live the life and reach the lost for whom Jesus calls his followers. Now right here, I want to pause. Pause. Are you hearing about this Holy Spirit? And do you want to to step into God's empowered purpose for your life? Then I ask you, have you ever received Jesus in your life? Have you said yes to Jesus in your life? If the answer is no to that question and you desire to say yes today, to Jesus and this empowering of the Holy Spirit, or if you want to I want to invite you to pray the prayer with me. But if you also have lost sight of God's mission in your life and you want to recommit your life to Jesus, if you want to say yes to more of the Holy Spirit today, then I invite you all in this room and online, I invite you to bow your heads and to close your eyes and to pray this prayer aloud with me. I want to ask that you would all repeat each phrase after me. Heavenly Father, I'm sorry I have sinned against you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. me. Please send your Holy Spirit to live in me. me. Today Today I say yes to following you. Amen. Please, if you would, if you'd keep your heads bowed for just a moment longer and your eyes closed, if you said yes to Jesus for the first time, or if you said yes to recommitting your life to Jesus today and more of the Holy Spirit, that I want to invite you to raise your hand right now. All right, you can put your hands down. You can p- raise your heads. You know, at the end of the service, there's going to be an opportunity for you. If you raise your hand today or if you want to know more about what it means to recommit your life to Jesus or have more of the Holy Spirit in you, there's an opportunity for you after the service at the blue table that's in this room or online to go to redeemermn.org forward slash next steps. And you can learn more about what those next steps are in your life and have somebody to celebrate with you for this saying yes moment in your life. It's pretty awesome. I believe that God is doing something special special in this room here today, special as a part of this whole serve month through his people here at Redeemer. For everyone who raised their hand and for everyone who's ever said yes to Jesus, he has big plans for us. God is calling you by name into his purpose of healing and hope for the world. I can't wait to see the rest of July and serve month, but the rest of what he's about to do with each of us so back to the story. Jesus gave his disciples authority in person. And the Holy Spirit gives us his gifts. In Matthew's account, right after that first verse in chapter 10, where Jesus gives his disciples authority, he names each of his disciples. Here are the names of the 12 apostles first, Simon, also called Peter, then, Andrew, Peter's brother. James, son of Zebedee. John, James's brother. Philip, Bartholomew. Those were the four fishermen, by the way. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Elpheus. Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot. And Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Each one a name given to a person. You see, it meant something that Jesus had chosen. These twelve Men for a very particular purpose. It is important that we know the names in this Jesus class. Jesus named his 12 disciples. Those were the 12 closest to Jesus. Those were the first to receive gifts. In the thousands in the throng listening and receiving from Jesus, he only names the 12. Those were the 12 he identified as his disciples. Their identities were were inexplic- inseparably linked to Jesus. In their writings, we know that their entirety identity was wrapped into this proximity that they had with Jesus. Matthew described himself as a disciple of Jesus. Peter, Jesus' disciple. John, the one whom Jesus loved because John was always special, right? You see, for then, for those twelve, they were marked forever as Jesus' disciples. How about now? Where do we as Jesus followers find our identity? Now, the world we live in right now makes that question really complicated and confusing. Just to say I identify as is to ignite a cultural and political storm. We think it's original to the age we live in today. But this was the same storm that was brewing in this time of Jesus. In fact, that Apostle Paul that we talked about earlier, who was the persecutor of Christians that was called by Jesus, he was asked that same question, or he contemplated that same question in in his letter to the church in Corinth. And he says, how should we be regarded? That's the question he's pondering in that letter what should our identity be is what he's asking and he says these two things that we should be servants of christ and stewards of the mysteries of god you see it's not a new question for us finding an identity and the answer is always the same when we are a follower of christ our identity first and foremost is as a servant of christ And so I identify as a Jesus disciple. First and foremost, I identify as a Jesus disciple. And Jesus shows us what this looks like. In John, he records the words of Jesus this way. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You see, when we love one another, we reveal our identity as a disciple of Jesus. Jesus named the twelve, and our identity as a disciple is revealed when we serve, when we love. Now, as we work through this account in, in, of the twelve disciples of Jesus, we see that they are given authority, and their identity was firmly placed in Jesus. In Mark's gospel, we clearly see what happens next. I want to remind you, last week we had four perspectives from all four gospel writers on on the miracle of Jesus that we were looking at then. For this story of Jesus, for this encounter of Jesus, there are three accounts of this particular one and we're going to lean on Mark to get a clear picture of the strategy involved in Jesus sending out his disciples. Mark 6 says this, Then Jesus went from village to village, teaching the people, and he called his twelve disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. You see, his focus is on the sending. Sending them out two by two. They aren't covering the most ground by spreading as thin as possible for the widest swath in the harvest of God that, that, that Jesus is revealing. No. Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. Now in the instructions that follow and in all three of the Gospels that talk about this, we could deduce that they are sent out in pairs for their own protection. We could deduce that they were sent out in pairs so that somebody had a complementary skill set to another. But in the whole of Scripture from the very beginning through the entirety of the Old Testament all the way up to this moment, God reveals that there is a unique strength benefit that comes when we go together. In that moment, then, Jesus sent his disciples together, and now, out of 1 Peter, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Now we are empowered through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we are sent to serve the mission of every follower of christ the purpose of every jesus follower for all of us we are sent to speak and to serve our mission is simple really we are sent to serve equipped with the gifts of the holy spirit sent in the person of jesus to serve one another this last spring my oldest son graduated from high school it was a momentous event in our family We weren't surprised that he graduated from high school, but this moment signifies an incredibly significant step that he's taking in his life. See, he turned 18, and so he is legally an adult, despite what people would say otherwise, right? (laughs) He chose a school to go to college. That's not anywhere close. And he graduated high school. So you know what we did? We threw a party, right? And if you know my wife, Kim, a lot of you do, you know that it was the biggest, it was the best. It was the most thoughtfully put together. It was the most caringly curated party that has ever existed for a high school student of all time, right? For those of you that know my wife, you know that there was mac and cheese at that party with like 84, I think, approximately different toppings that you could put on mac I didn't know people put toppings on mac and cheese. It was phenomenal. But what it meant for us to put that party together is that for months there were lists, some of them honey-do lists. There were plans and preparations and yard work and all of the things that you do to get ready for a lot of people to come over to your house. And we worked diligently. We stayed up late, mostly her. And we put this together. It was the the day before, the Friday before the Saturday party, and we looked at the list and we realized that there was no way that we could get everything we needed to get done before that next afternoon was going to come. We just didn't have the time to finish everything on the list. But we have some pretty awesome friends. There was a couple that came over the day before. We didn't invite them. They just showed up ready to work. And so we put them to work, worked alongside them. And in the four hours that they were there, somehow that entire list got finished. Everything on it. You see, Kim and I on our own, four hours, wouldn't have been a third of what we accomplished with those two other people. It's so true, isn't it? It's true, the power of having good friends, but it's true that when we serve together, something special happens. These are verses that are so often quoted in weddings, but Solomon knew that there was something special in serving together when he wrote these words. Two people are better than one. For they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. In fact, three are better. For a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Serving together exponentially increases your effectiveness. And so today, I want to invite all of Redeemer to increase our effectiveness in serving. When you walked in today, there was a half sheet of paper that was on your seat. And it had the outline for a serving initiative for all of Redeemer. Redeemer. See, for the last seven years, Redeemer has been a part of this back-to-school project within Fridley Schools. It's called the Fridley Community Resource Fair. And what it is, is it matches resources with students and families who who have very real needs as they head into the school year. And we have been mobilized over these last seven years. It might be longer, actually. These last seven years. We've been mobilized to, to bring backpacks and school supplies so that they can be distributed to kids who genuinely need them. And over these last seven years, we've, we've faithfully, as a community, we've brought backpacks. But this year, I want to do something special. This year, I want to see within Redeemer God move in a, in a more unified way. You see, on our own, we can bring a backpack or two or maybe we're really ambitious you know four or five but when you put all of those efforts together then something special happens and what one person cannot accomplish on their own all of us can accomplish together and so for fridley schools this year let's bring a hundred backpacks right let's do it as big as we can over the next two weeks, you can bring those backpacks in. I would encourage you to, to, uh, to pack the backpack just as it says on the sheet that you have there. I brought one if, if Pastor John, thank you. My lovely assistant. No, just kidding. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the opposite. Except lo- not as lovely for me. But... This is an example of an elementary school backpack. It's got all the things that are on that list and nothing more and nothing less, right? We have big hearts and we want to put everything in there and we want to fill it to the brim because we want that student, but what we want to do actually is to make it fair, to make everything match, so that every student that shows up that first day, they have exactly what they need to have a successful school day, right? And so pay attention to the list. Take a look at what's on it. You know, when we were at Target preparing for this, my wife and I, and we were putting together our backpack, when we went to check out, she's like, oh my goodness, you're getting ready for school already? If you do it this week, the stuff will still be on the shelves. Because she said, you know, in just a couple weeks, there'll be nothing there. So let's join together over the course of the next two weeks, before the 31st, let's bring our backpacks in, let's have over 100 backpacks here, And when you come on the 31st, we'll we'll have those backpacks arranged that we can pray over. We can pray for the students who will receive them. And we can be commissioned into serving on that 31st at 9 o'clock in the morning, um, both online and right here in person, so that we can step into that great purpose that God has called us to, to serve our community. See, I remind you that He has given to you Through the power of the Holy Spirit, exactly what you need to serve the calling that He's called you to. I want to remind you that He has called you His own. Jesus has called you by name as His disciple. And I want to remind you that when we serve together, something incredibly special happens. And so let's be the church together this month, right? Always, but especially this month. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray over all of you. Lord, we thank you that you give us your strength and your power, your boldness, and your mindset so that we see the needs in our community. And we feel your presence giving us the strength and the power to take those on. Lord, help us to serve. Help us to serve boldly. And help us to do that in Jesus' name. And all God's saints said together, Amen. Amen.